My subject this morning is <clears throat> paralyzed Christians. Many Christians have a confused image of God. And most of it, it comes from our experience growing up in our homes. Was it a loving home? Or was it a place of conflict? Was it a safe place? Was your home a place where you could express your emotions and find comfort? Or a place where you knew absolutely for sure without a shadow of a doubt that you were loved? If you think of God as being distant and disinterested, you will act and think differently than a person who thinks that God is compassionate, that God is a loving God, that he's a helper in the time of need, you will, you will think absolutely different. When your image of God is incorrect, you'll become paralyzed in your witness and your productivity in the Christian church. You'll buy into the thinking that you are simply nobody and that you have very little value to God and to others. And Satan has done a tremendous job of paralyzing us into thinking that we can't even make it as a Christian. There's something wrong with us. And so we, we go ahead and we think that God doesn't really make much difference in my life. After all, I'm struggling with the same things that I've struggled with year after year after year, and I don't see any real difference. Most of us have a flawed image of how God works in our life. But knowing God and knowing about him is crucial if we're going to grow in Christ. I'm going to look at a couple of texts here in John 17 verse 3 it says this is eternal life that they may know you this is Jesus talking they may, they may know you and the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent this is eternal life that you may you may know God well our aim that should be our aim is to know God we come to church each week to find out more about God. We want to learn how he works, how he works in our life, and we want to know just the mechanics of it all because it becomes so confusing. When we know God, we have a certain assurance in our life. We don't, when we don't know much about him, we have a conflicting assurance in our life. We're not quite sure. 70% of all Christians, they believe that you can lose your salvation. That's a huge number of Christians. They believe that you can lose your salvation if you are not following the rules and regulations or if you're just not obeying the Ten Commandments or whatever, that eventually you can lose your salvation. And there's texts in the Bible that would lead you to believe that. So it's not something that anybody's made up. 
but we have a flaw image of that. And I want to help us clear that up this morning. So in 1 John 5, 20 and 21, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. So here the Bible tells us that we, we, we know that the Son of God has come. And now we're going to have a knowledge of him that is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Then in verse 21, it says, little children, guard yourself from idols. Now, it's good counsel to guard ourselves from idols because it is the work of Satan who tries to deceive us, trick us into believing that we are not important, that we are not qualified to do anything. And a lot of times, people feel in the congregation that they're not qualified to teach or not, they're not qualified to help people or they're not qualified to do anything when it comes to the church. And Satan often uses us to question our inner attitudes and our thoughts. What about the sins of omission? This is what Satan accuses us. What about sins of omission? You know... The sins that you know that you do and you know that they're wrong, what about those sins? So the question is, do we really believe in total forgiveness? Do you believe in once for all forgiveness? Because if you don't, you're going to be confused about your identity in Christ. Many Christians are concerned about this total forgiveness. More and more people are speaking out, whether it's on television, the televangelists, and more and more people are saying, that is a very dangerous doctrine. Now, what do I mean by total forgiveness? That you are forgiven totally. And they say, well... What we believe is that when you come to Jesus Christ and accept him as your personal savior, all of your sins in the past are forgiven, but now that you are born again, now that you are saved, you have to keep up with your sins. In other words, when you sin, you confess and sin and confess, and then you have to go through a cleansing process. That cleansing process is given in many different ways in in certain denominations today. Some are... They have altar calls at the end of the meeting to people to rededicate their life. And so that they come forward because they're burdened down with some of the things that they have done. And they come forward. They call it an altar call. Now, as an evangelist, I have made many altar calls where you ask people to come and give their life to Christ. And I think that that's good. I, I, I think it's really good to give people an opportunity to publicly confess that they want to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. When we have calls for rededication, what are we saying? What are we saying to the people? 
I want you to come and rededicate your life to Christ. Come, come forward, give your life to Christ again. What are we saying? Well, we're leaving in the impression that their sins haven't been taken care of. That they're burdened down with sin. And so we're asking them to come forward to get unburdened or to get cleansed. You show God how sincere you are and he will cleanse you. So there's a lot of confusion about that. And today with total forgiveness, people are saying, you mean to tell me that tomorrow's sins are already forgiven? You mean to tell me that next week, all my sins next week are already forgiven? Are you telling me that next year, all my sins are forgiven? Oh, that's dangerous. That's a real dangerous doctrine, they say. Why is it dangerous? Because they feel that if you actually believe that, then why not just sin more? Well, Paul, that issue came up in the Romans, with the Romans church. And Paul says that, that in Romans 6, 1 and 2, it says, What shall we say then? Are we, could, are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Now, Paul asks the question and then he answers it. He says, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So Paul had it right, didn't he? If you are a born-again Christian... How can you live in sin and enjoy it? And then Paul gives us an indication. And, but we know that where sin abounds, grace abounds more. You can never, never, ever out-sin God's grace. That's an impossibility. It can't be done. But there is no question how God deals with sin. And so I want us to look at some scripture this morning and see what God says. In Colossians 2.13, it says, when you were dead in your transgressions, that means that when you were in Adam, you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive together with him, having, past tense, having forgiven us all our transgressions. So he's forgiven us all of our transgressions. And then we find out in 1 John 2, 12, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins, past tense, have been forgiven for your, excuse me, has been forgiven you for his name's sake. So here again. Past tense, have been forgiven. And then in Ephesians 4.32, the Bible says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has, past tense, forgiven you. It's quite plain, but let's seal the deal, as they say in Colossians 3.13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. 
Now, I am well aware that there are denominations who believe and teach that your past sins are forgiven, but you have to keep up with it after that. And the only problem with that is that it's not true. It's not true. Hebrews 10, 14 tells us this. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. When you said yes to Christ, the Bible says that you were sanctified. Sanctified means that you were set apart for holy use. So you were set apart for holy use. For holy use. By one offering, that offering was Jesus Christ dying on the cross. The way, the way sin is the trans, I should say, sin is the transgression of the law. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for the sins of the world. For the world, that means every Buddhist, Confucius, every one in the Islam faith, he died for the sins of all. He died for all sin. So you've heard me say over and over, so sin is not the issue anymore. No one will be lost because of sin. It's going to be because of unbelief. Now, he paid the atonement for all sin for everyone. But he's left it up to you whether you want to accept that atonement and have eternal life. And that eternal life comes only through the blood of Jesus Christ. So our future sins are taken care of by one offering. So you've heard me say this over and over, and I want to repeat it. The cross was the dividing line of human history. For 2,000 years, the Israelites had a sacrificial system that covered sin. It didn't take it away. It covered it. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, all those sins that were covered were taken away. 2,000 and some years in the future where we are, all the sins were taken care of. All sin was forgiven and forgotten. You cannot come to the place where before you can even repeat, before you can even say anything to God about your sin, it's been forgiven and forgotten. Before you can even say anything. You are set apart for holy use. So let's take a look at what Jesus, what he had to say about forgiveness. And we're going to go to Luke, the seventh chapter. Many of you have heard this story over and over again, but let's go through it. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. This is asking Jesus to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And then the Bible says, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Now, <clears throat> the scholars have a, had a lot of fun with this text, I guess. Uh, nobody knows for sure what this woman's sins were. We all just know that they were many, but so are ours. And uh, some, th some seem to think that she was a prostitute, but nobody really knows. But 
she was a, a sinner. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, she bought, brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And then the Bible says that in 38, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. And then, <clears throat> now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, go ahead and say it. And he said a he gave a parable. He said a moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning towards this woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And he said, you gave me no kiss. It was, it was the custom to give two kisses, one on each cheek. You gave me no kiss, and uh, since the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. And for this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who's forgiven little Loves little. What does that mean? He, he who has been forgiven little. I mean we're all sinners. And we've all sinned a lot. But who has forgiven little. Loves little. Now. What do you suppose Jesus meant? Well. <clears throat> he that forgiveth. Much is loves much. In other words, he that knows that he's a sinner, he that understands all the things that have gone through his head, all the things that he has done, he knows that he is the chief of all sinners, just like Paul said. Paul said he was the chief of all sinners, and if I would examine each one of your life and my life, we would all say, no, no, I, I was the, I, I, I'm chief. I'm chief of all sinners. And so, do we, do we love much? Do we love much? For this reason, 
I say unto you, her sins, they which are many, have been forgiven. Do you believe that your sins, which are many, have all been forgiven? Or are you concerned about the sin that maybe you have sinned, whether it's been the last week, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, a year ago? I can recall going through 25 years of asking God to forgive me for the same sin. 25 years. And I would come to the place periodically and think, well, don't I really believe that I'm forgiven? I must not because I keep bringing it up to him. Well, the reason was that these thoughts came through my head all the time. I could be, I could be thinking about God and all of a sudden this thought way back overseas when I was in the Marines would come through my head. And I would say, oh, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. And I went through 25 years of that before I understood total forgiveness. We are totally forgiven. Totally. We have been made perfect forever. For all time, the Bible says. He has perfected us for all time. Now, when Jesus, when he forgave this woman, do you think that Jesus thought that maybe I've given her too much forgiveness? Maybe it was just too much because if I, if I really clear everything, won't she go back out and do the same thing again and again and again? People who are afraid of total forgiveness do not understand their identity in Christ. The Bible says that when you accept him, you are a child of his. He has given you a new heart. He's put into you a new spirit. And at your core, you have a whole new desires. You really don't want to sin. You don't want to, not at your core. But like Paul, who said, it's not me, it's sin that dwells within me. Sometimes, because of circumstances, we listen to our flesh. And it causes us to sin. Is this, do we really believe that if we embrace grace completely, that it's going to cause us to sin more? No, it's going to cause us to sin less. The more you understand grace, the more gracious you become. The more you understand grace, the less judgmental you become. And then he said to her, and then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. In, in verse 49 it says, those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sin? And then in verse 50, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Now, my question to you is, do you have peace? Are you at peace with God? Do you understand fully what you have in Christ? Now, we're going to go to 2 Peter 1.4. 
And we're going to read, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world by lust. Now the Bible says that when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we become a partaker of his divine nature. We need to soak that in a little bit. We have become a partaker of God's divine nature. Now, what do you think? Is it safe for God to forgive you? Is it safe for God to give you total forgiveness, knowing that your sins are forgiven next week, next year, knowing that they've already been taken care of? Is it safe? Is it really safe for him to forgive you? Remember, you are a partaker of God's divine nature. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says that you are holy. The Bible says that you are blameless. The Bible says that you are all of this. Is it safe for Christ to forgive us for all sin? Yes, it is perfectly safe. And that is exactly what he did when he went to the cross. If you think that you want to sin, you don't know who you are. If you think you want to, I have never met a born-again Christian who wanted to sin. In fact, it's almost, it, it's almost impossible for somebody to be born again and want to. Not almost, it is impossible and want to sin. I've known of born-again Christians who have fallen into sin, but they're not comfortable in the sin. I mean, it's torture. It's a living hell. We know what it is when we do something wrong. We feel bad about it. And why do we feel bad about it? It's because we have been born again. We have new desires deep within our core, but we are listening to the flesh. And when you listen to the flesh, yes, we sin. But God covers us. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, your sins I will take care of. I will not hold them against you. Because I know who you are. You're my child. I know exactly who you are, what you really want at your deepest core. When we accept Christ as our personal Savior, we do have new desires. We want to do it right. But the Bible says that we are obedient. The Bible says that if you really understand grace, if you have embraced it, you are obedient to God at your deepest core. But when circumstances come, different things come up in life, the world comes at you, yes, yes. Sometimes life gets a little heavy. I can remember several times where life got pretty heavy. On my farm, up in the corner, my neighbor has built me a bench. And it says Prayer Mountain on it, because it's the highest peak of, of my property. And so I go up there in the mornings, and I have my, my session with God up there. On that bench, there's a rock. 
some folks from New Jersey. They weren't Christians, but they sent me this rock. And this rock has on it, engraved in loving memory of Judy, who was my wife. And that rock is placed right on that bench. And there was a young couple that came to my home yesterday and for marriage counseling. They came all the way from Northern Virginia. And um, I took them up to Prayer Mountain, where my mountain is. And um, when we went up there, you could kind of look all, all over. It was just a beautiful scene. And they looked down at that rock, and they looked down at Prayer Mountain, at that sign on my bench, Prayer Mountain. My neighbor built that for me. And they said to me, do you come up here often? And I said, yes, I do. And uh, they said, uh, you must miss her. Oh, I said, indeed, I do. Sure, I do. But I have the assurance, I have the assurance that I will see her again. There's something about having assurance, whether it's the assurance of your salvation, whether you know without a shadow of a doubt how much God loves you because he thinks you are the greatest thing going. There's nobody else like you. He, he loves you, but he likes you as well. When you have that sort of assurance, the world becomes different. Life becomes different. There is such a security in that, that you, you sense your freedom in Christ and you sense this, this, this desire to just live for him and, and do what he wants you to do. Now, I'm going to pick it up in verse 5. And verse 5 says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and then your moral excellence knowledge. And so we're going to go through a list of things. And now there are a lot of people when they read this, they say, oh, oh, I, I need to work on, I need to work on my diligence. I need to work on my excellence. I need to work on my knowledge. The, the truth is, no, you don't. You don't want to work on those things. Notice what it says. Now for this very reason, what reason? What reason? Well, the text before says it. Because you are partakers of his divine nature. And for this very reason, this is what will happen. You'll become more diligent. Your faith will become more excellent. And, your, and that excellence will turn into knowledge. And it, and it goes on into your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, kindness, love. This is something you don't work on. This is something that is in you. This is you. You don't work on it. It will increase the more knowledge you have of Jesus Christ. The more you trust him, all of these things will increase. And the Bible says so. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless or unfruitful in true knowledge of our Lord Jesus. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his formal, former sins. This is where we want to focus. 
If you think that you're out of step with God, if you think for some reason the world came at you and it just over, it, it just puts you in a, a, a tailspin, this is what happened. You have forgotten your total forgiveness. You have forgotten that God has took care of all of your sins. And you are free. You are free in Christ. You have forgotten. That's the only thing. Whenever we get led astray or whenever we get down and out or something, we just, we've forgotten. We've forgotten who we are in Christ. Christ says that we are everything he wants us to be. We are perfect in his eyes for all time. It doesn't say that we're going to act perfect. It doesn't say that we're always going to do things that are perfect. No, it says that at our deepest core, we are perfect. He has made us that way. We have received his gift. Now, are you looking at the size of your sin? I think I was. For 20 years, I was looking at the size of my sin. Are you looking? Don't identify. I can say this now. I wish I would have said it years ago. Don't identify with your former sins. They have been forgiven. They have been forgotten. I mean, it's, it's over. The sin issue is over. So what are we looking at? Why are we afraid to teach total forgiveness? The Bible teaches that the forgiveness inspires us. When we embrace total forgiveness, it inspires us to love the Lord Jesus Christ more and to love our fellow man more. So the Bible says in Colossians 3, 12 and 13, So as those who have been chosen of God, that's you, we're all been chosen of God. That's everybody here. That's why we're here. We've been chosen by God. And he says that you are holy and you are beloved. But do we really believe it? Do we really believe it? Do we really believe that we are holy? We say, oh, man, no, I can't, I can't buy that. I'm not holy. Yes, you are. At your deepest core, you are. Yes, you are. Why can't we embrace it? What causes us not to embrace this tremendous truth? And then the Bible says that not only are you holy, you're beloved. God loves you. He loves every part of you. There's nobody else like you. And now his only desire is to live his life in you and through you. And it's all God wants for us to wake up every day. And praise him and thank him and say, Lord, I just want you to live your life through me. Everything I, everything I do today, I just, I'm just asking you to go ahead and live your life through me. When God has your permission to live his life through you, he will. He will. Your attitude will change, believe me. Your actions will change, believe me. Sanctification is a process of a lifetime. So we're not going to get perfect here, but in God's eyes, we already are perfect. He has perfected us forever. Forever means forever. 
God's forgiveness inspires our forgiveness of other people. When I think of how much God has forgiven me, I just stand in awe. And I, there's, there's no way that I could hold back any forgiveness for anybody who's done me wrong. There's just no way. Not after what he has forgiven me for. I believe that many Christians are paralyzed. I believe they are paralyzed in their walk with Christ because they don't understand total forgiveness. They don't know who they really are. Sometimes they think there's two of them. One voice is saying this, one voice is saying And they think they have two natures. And they forget what the Bible says. The old is gone, the new has come. You are loved, beloved by God. He loves every bit of you. And the Bible says he will not hold your sins against you. It causes us to love him back. I've been in the ministry for a good many years. And as an evangelist, I have heard many, many people. They're just torn because there's, there's things in their family. There's issues in their family that somebody won't forgive the other person. And when I, when I moved down, uh, down at the farm where I'm at, when I moved down there, I found out that there were still feuds going on. And um, I talked to one group, and they said that um, he doesn't talk to his brother. He said uh, his wife is from another clan, and they've been feuding for years. Years. They haven't talked to each other for years. Brothers. Forgiveness. I've heard people say that I'll forgive him when he comes and asks me for forgiveness. Oh, so that's the condition that he believes in. And look how many Christians believe the same thing. They believe that their sins are not forgiven until they confess the sin. So they have a part in it. And Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. The sin issue is over. It's over. If we embrace total forgiveness, that's the way we forgive then. We don't wait for somebody to come begging on their hands and knees and say, please forgive me. No, you were forgiven long ago. No, that's not the way it works. We don't hold back for forgiveness. We forgive whether they come and ask it or not. Why? Because God has made us a forgiving person. God has created within us when we gave our life to him. We have this new nature, God's nature. And God is willing to forgive us for all sin. All sin. If you don't understand that you are totally forgiven, you will be under a cloud and be paralyzed by guilt and the lack of freedom. And you will put conditions on the way that you will forgive. And you don't want to do that because that's not who you are. 
God says that you are his child. You are a child of the living God. Christ lives in you. His only desire is to live his life through you. Who are you? Who really are you? Who do you believe you are? If you believe that you're a child of God, your, your love will increase every year. Your desires will change every year. You want to be more and more. You be, Jesus is conforming you into his image, he says. He's doing it. As long as you are working at it, you'll be discouraged. You'll find no hope. When the world comes at you, you're just going to fall to pieces. But if you know who you are, if you know that you are forgiven forever, forever, you'll be free to be you. And that's who God wants you to be. He doesn't want you to be somebody. He doesn't want you to... to go through the Bible and find out how you're supposed to be and start working at it? No. He wants to live his life through you. And when he does it, it's always good. It's always good. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for the many blessings that you've given to us. We thank you, Lord, for the encouragement that you've given us through your word. We're thankful that we can know that we are totally forgiven. That we can know that you love us. You always have and you always will. We, we're just so thankful that you started a good work in us and, and you will finish it. And so I just pray that all of us here would get out of your way and let you do the work within us. And that we can just trust you. Trust you and know that you are recreating us into your image. We thank you for forgiveness. We're thankful that we have been set free. And I just praise you and thank you for everything that you have done, everything that you are doing. Now continue to bless us, I pray. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.